t-shirt that's a little bit of what we want to talk about today. What's your motto for life? What are the rules that kind of govern how you live? What do you tend to go for? I was looking for some inspiration. I found some inspirational quotes for you that you might want to kind of get the juices flowing here, except that went out. So, Jesse, what we got? We got nothing? No inspiration. That is deadly for us. We'll skip it and move on. So, that one, Jesse, I think just went out completely. It says there's a temperature warning. All right, this is um, 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 23. We've said uh, Paul is wrapping up his, his, this word to them to say stay out of these temples. It's a huge deal. They're all eating in these temples, these idol meals, and Paul says you can't do it. And he gives them a command, but he doesn't want them to fall into this rule-based mentality about their life with Christ. He doesn't want them, he wants to emphasize you're free in Christ and I'm telling you what to do at the same time. There's some of our inspiration. Some of you are success people. Some people dream of success while other people live to crush those dreams. <laughs> dreams are like rainbows, only idiots chase them. And that's all you get. There's some over here. Believe in yourself because the rest of us think you're an idiot. I hope nobody thinks idiot's a bad word. Risks. If you never try anything new, you'll miss out on many of life's great disappointments. Persistence. It's over, man. Let her go. Aim high. What's the worst that could happen? Simplicity. The simplest solutions are often the cleverest. They're also usually wrong. Ambition. The journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. Legacy. We always talk about your destiny. It took a million years to create something this extraordinary. You have almost 74. Potential. Not everyone can be an astronaut when they grow up. <laughs> Perseverance, the, the courage to ignore the obvious wisdom of turning back. Hope may not be warranted at this point. Perspective, I can't read that. Less is more unless you're standing next to the one with more, then less just looks pathetic. My Priorities, I can't read that one either. Hundreds of years from now will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove, but the world may be different because I did something so bafflingly crazy that my ruins become a tourist attraction. <laughs> and mediocrity. It takes a lot less time, and most people won't notice the difference until it's too late. We strive for mediocrity in all that we do here. That's our, our personal motto. So that can maybe get you uh, inspired as you're thinking through what your t-shirt says and hopefully we can make an exchange on that here towards the end. So anyway, Paul's in the middle of this thing. He's, he's giving them a command. You can't eat at these, in these temples, but he want, he's not wanting them to fall into a rule-based mindset. He wants them to maintain this idea of being free in Christ. And so that's how he closes here this section. Everything is permissible. That's one of their slogans but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, 
but the good of others. So what he's saying there is we're free in Christ. Everything is permissible. We've talked about this before. He's quoted this one time already. He doesn't disagree. He disagrees with their understanding of that. For them, everything is permissible means I can do whatever I want. For Paul, everything is permissible means you're free to encourage, to edify, to build up others. And that's what he wants them to hear. Yes, everything, you're free, but your freedom is not for yourself. Your freedom is for others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So the temple, he says, you can't go. You can't go because you might cause your brother or sister to stumble. You can't go because it's, there's, you'll be tempted towards idolatry, and that provokes God to jealousy, and that's bad. So you can't go. In the market at Kroger, you can get whatever you want to eat. This meat, most of it all came from the temple. The, the meat that was sold in the market originated in the temple. It was most likely butchered by these pagan priests. And what Paul is saying is you, can, you take that home, and you can eat it. That's, a, that's, not a, that's not a moral issue for you. For the Jews, it was a huge deal. They had to investigate all of the food that they ate. And if, if the meat came from one of these temples, then they weren't allowed to eat it. So Paul's going against that. He's saying you're free. This is not a moral issue. It's not a question of conscience. When you go to the store, you buy whatever you want, and you eat it without feeling guilty. Because the earth is the Lord's, and everything's in it. That's why we say a blessing when you sit down at the deli or wherever you go uh, after church here. You're saying, you're recognizing, this food might have come from their kitchen, but ultimately everything comes from God, and that's why we thank him for it. And so Paul says, because of that, even if this food came via the temple, ultimately it's the Lord's, and we're thanking him for it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, the other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. So here's another scenario. In your own house, eat what you want, don't worry about it. Now you're invited to a friend's house, someone who's not a Christian, you eat whatever he puts in front of you. It's, it's missionary mode. You don't need to find out where the food came from. You don't need to ask any questions about it. Food is not a moral issue. You eat whatever they put in front of you. Third scenario. However, if there's another guest, also someone who's not a Christian, and they say, hey, I just wanted you to know this meat came from the temple, then don't eat it. What they're trying to do is help you out. Everybody knew the Jewish food laws. In this uh, time period, people assumed Christians were just a subset of Jews anyway, so what applied to them applied to the Christians. And So this is someone who's trying to help you out. They assume you're not able to eat this food, and so they're telling, saying, hey, we don't, want you to, we don't want you to get tripped up. I want you to know this food came from a temple. Then what you need to do is honor their conscience by not eating the food. They're trying to help you. It, for them, they see this as a taboo for you. You know it's not. They think it is. So just don't eat the food. It's not that big a deal. Don't do that. Verse 29. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for. So he closes with kind of his personal word. Apparently Paul was being attacked because of the way he was eating, and he's saying, I'm free. I thank God for everything that comes my way. I've told you all before, I don't do anything that's going to cause anyone else to stumble, so don't give me a hard time about the food that I am or am not eating. So that's kind of what's going on there uh, in that section. Again, the, the underlying emphasis Paul's trying to remind them is, you're free. I just told you you can't go to the temple. It's incompatible to follow Jesus, and to be in those temples. But here, all these sections, these other areas where freedom 
is the rule. But it's not freedom to do what you want. It's freedom to serve, to love, to build up, to edify other people. Eat what you want in your house. If a friend invites you over, you eat whatever they put in front of you. If somebody lets you know that it's the food is from the temple, then don't eat it for their sake, not for yours. And that's kind of what's going on there. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at these last few verses. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Again, what Paul's trying to close here with is because he's just given them a command, he doesn't want them to think that there's going to be commands for every decision they have to make. He doesn't want them follow, falling into a rules-based understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. He wants, to, he wants them, just like he wants us, to be led by the Spirit, not to rely on rules. Galatians 5.25, he says this, Since we live by the Spirit, the Spirit's the one who has brought us to life. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Romans 8, if you, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, not those who keep the rules, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Paul's emphasis is we need to be led by the Spirit. It's easy for us to fall back into a rules-based mindset, and he doesn't want the Corinthians to do that. He doesn't want us to. To do that theoretically when you when you become a christian the holy spirit lives within you theoretically you don't need any external rules from that point forward and jeremiah god said he's going to write the law on our hearts that's part of what the new covenant is he's taken what's external and he's put it in us and he's given us his spirit to be our guide to be to direct us to empower us to do all of those things so theoretically we don't need anything outside of the holy spirit we have everything we need in him to follow Jesus. Now, we know reality is we struggle with sin. We miss the mark. And so Jesus puts some guardrails on the road. We want to walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. That means the same thing. And he puts these guardrails up. On one side, he says, I want you to love God. On the other side, he says, I want you to love people. So those guardrails help keep us on the road of what it means to be led by the Spirit. Some things are black and white. Most of the decisions we have to make are all different shades of gray and it can be tricky to know well what exactly do i need to do here and that's what those guardrails will help keep you on the road love god on one side love people on the other jesus said those are really the only two commandments that matter anymore and again theoretically we don't even need those because the holy spirit lives within us and he will guide us in each of those directions but again reality is we miss the mark a lot and it's nice to have some guardrails to make sure we're staying on the road this kind of rules-based approach to Christianity. And I would say this, if, you, uh, if you're like me, uh, I was Bible school, vacation Bible school, summer camp, um, campus ministry, church every Sunday, sometimes that. If that's your history, if that's your upbringing, if I can say it without being offensive, if you have a little Baptist in you as well, your tendency is going to be towards a rule-based understanding. It's just that's the easy way to go. If you're a performer, you're going to fall towards this rule-based understanding of Christianity. And again, I think some people who are newer to the faith don't struggle quite as much as some of us who've been Christians for a long time and have heard all of the rules. It just doesn't work. 
is ultimately what it gets down to. The reason there's a new covenant is because the old one did not work. It didn't take care of the problem, which is our sin nature. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament. We've talked about that before. The problem is those 613 didn't cover every situation. So the religious leaders added laws upon laws. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Simple. There's 39 additional laws around that one, at least. Every one of us, we can come up with, what about this? What about in this situation? What about in this circumstance? All of these different variables, if there's no rule, then, we've got to, then somebody's got to write a new rule for that situation. It's impossible to live life that way. The Bible doesn't say who you should marry. It doesn't say where you should go to college. It doesn't say what you should major in. It doesn't say whether you should take the job. It doesn't say whether you should move. All of that thing, all of those type things. It doesn't say how many children you should have. All of these questions that for us are the stuff of life, you can't, there's no verse on that. And if you're a chapter verse person, I need this verse to justify this decision, then you're going to wind up sitting on your couch all day frustrated because it's not in here. It doesn't say. You can get some guidance, but again, I can give you some other. And we can quote back and forth to each other and not really come to any conclusions. The Pharisees knew the Old Testament. They knew the law better than anyone. One, they had, many of them had the whole thing memorized. They, they followed it scrupulously. And they completely missed the point. Jesus says this about them. In John, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. For us, most of us know we don't possess eternal life by studying the Scriptures, but we think it's the key to following Jesus is um, diligently studying the Scriptures. These are the Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They knew the rules. They missed the whole relational concept of, what, of who God is and what God was desiring. We make a tragic mistake when we think the Bible is a rule book. It's not. It's a revelation of God's character. What he says is, here, get to know me so you will trust me to lead you. Yes, there's some rules in there. They're minor compared to the whole body of work. The point here, this is, who, this is how you can know who I am. Because I want you to trust me because I'm going to guide you. I can't write enough rules for you to follow to live your life well. It's too much. So rather than doing that, why don't I give you my spirit so he can lead you? Then you don't need a rule book because you've got the guide within you. You don't need necessarily a map if the guide lives within you. It's a different way of seeing your relationship with God, a different understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. So we want to be led by the spirit. The guardrails are love God and love people. That's really all you need to live life well to follow Jesus. But again, for many of us, we can fall into this rule-based understanding. If you ever say anything, if you ever say technically, then you've missed it. Technically is not a, that's not a relational word. Well, technically, I didn't lie to you. What do you mean, technically? You either, what? How many of you parents want your children to say, well, mom, technically, I obeyed you? No, you either did or you didn't. We have a lawyer. One of our four is a lawyer. He's 10. He's a lawyer. He's 11 now. We say something, clean your room. Well, technically, I cleaned my room. You didn't tell me to clean my desk. What? 
You told me to get my clothes up off the floor. Technically, I did that. Those clothes were on my bed. All the time. He's missing the heart of what we're doing. But we do the same thing to God. Well, technically, I forgave them. I just assumed they'd get hit by a bus, but I prayed. I. It doesn't work that way. None of you want a spouse who technically is faithful. You want someone who gets what it means here. You don't want a friend, again, who technically has your back. That's not relational talk. That's contractual. That's business. But again, we can, that's a rules-based understanding. This idea of, is it legal? No, you've missed it. If you're asking, is this legal? Then you've missed the heart of God. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago. And this person says to me, I've got it. Here's the verse that gets me out of my marriage. And she's, one, she's right. She's 100% right. That verse gets you out. And you're missing the point of what God desires to do here. Totally. If you're going here looking for, is this legal? Is this okay for me to do? Then you've missed the, it's kind of like when you're a teenager and how far is too far. You've, if you're asking the question, then you don't understand the heart of God. And the same thing again, I think, happens to us. We want to know, is this technically cheating on my taxes? Am I technic? Come on. I'm, that's enough. So for us, we want to be relationship-focused. Paul says here, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That's another way of saying love God. He's just he's spun it in a different direction. We don't really talk that way, give glory to God, and maybe give honor to God. Or you can say, am I living my life in such a way that when others see it, it causes them to have a high opinion of who God is? That's what it means to give God glory. When other people see the way you live, does it cause them to have a high opinion of who God is? And if the answer is yes, then you're glorifying God. If the answer is no, then you're not. That's completely different from is it legal and technically. It's a much broader picture. We've removed the rules, which we say yes, no rules, but God's also raised the standard. The Pharisees technically had everything down. They were not living a life that glorified God. Jesus technically broke all kinds of rules, but his life glorified God. And that's what the picture is. That's the example for us. Am I living my life in such a way that it causes others to have a high opinion of who he is? So to this person who says, see, I've got a verse that gets me out, the question might be to them, does getting out cause others to have a high opinion of God? Yes, legally you're okay. But when it comes to this relationship with God, when it comes to bringing glory to him, is that the right course of action? And let's, let's look at things from that perspective, not just do I have a verse to support my behavior, or there's no verse to condemn my behavior, so therefore I can do it because God technically can't hold me responsible because he didn't tell me what I was supposed to do in the first place. So love God on one side. On the other side, we've got this idea of loving people. Notice those last couple of phrases. Don't cause anyone to stumble. We're not going to talk anymore about that. We looked at that at the beginning of February. We talked about the stumbling block principle, the idea. It's not about offending um, people's sensibilities. It's about getting in the way of people encountering Jesus. If you see the follow-up with Paul, he's saying, I want every, I'm, I'm 
I don't want to hinder the spread of the gospel. So this is not about stylistic issues. It's not about personal preferences. It's about behavior that would cause somebody else to think less of Jesus. It's about behavior that if somebody sees you engaged in, they're going to say, hmm, I'm not sure that I want to follow that guy's God. It's not necessarily sinful behavior. It's all these gray areas where we just want to be aware of people who maybe aren't yet Christians. It's what Paul was talking about. Don't eat that meat. It's going to make that guy think you're a lawbreaker. If you eat that meat after he's told you it's been sacrificed to an idol, it's going to make him think you don't care. It's going to make him think that you're breaking the rules in your, in your faith. It's going to cause him to disrespect you, and then you lose your influence with him. Paul says, I know that it doesn't mean anything, and you know it doesn't mean anything, but he doesn't know that, so you honor him. So that's really what Paul's talking about there, not causing other people to stumble. It's, just, it's not getting in the way of people hearing the gospel. And then he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We talked about this. He actually, in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, he says, imitate me, um, Paul says. It's the same idea. Follow me, imitate me. If you remember, I think this was back in the fall, we kind of got into this, and I was saying I wanted us to create this culture of mentorship where people who were strong in areas would say, hey, you can follow me in this area. And people who are weak would say, I need help. It was a disaster. Um, it, it didn't work. And I've been thinking about that. And this is a, a bit of a, this drives me nuts, to be honest, about where we live. I love Marietta. What drives me crazy is how superficial our relationships tend to be. I'm not necessarily saying here among us. I'm thinking in the community that we live in, how easy it is to fall into this superficial pattern of relating to one another. Somebody the other day, we were talking at dinner, and they said, well, every time I ask you how you're doing, all you say is fine. Always. Fine, 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 fine. That's superficial. I'm fine most of the time, but I'm not fine all the time. And if that's all I ever say, then that's, that's me. That's me in the shallow end of the swimming pool, not pursuing depth in relationships. It's the easiest response. Most of the time when people ask you how they're doing, they don't really want to know anyway. So fine often is the right answer, but not if we're trying to have these intentional, vulnerable, transparent, purposeful relationships. If we're going to say, if, we're, if we could be like Paul and say, imitate me, then that means, one, people need to be able to see us. We need to, and I use that in quotes, we need to have, um, people need to have enough access to our life that they could actually follow us. And it's not an arrogant thing to say, imitate me in these areas. Paul says, imitate me as I'm imitating Jesus. The idea, we can't see Jesus. The 12, they could. They could see him, and to follow him, they just walked right behind him. We don't have that luxury. He's invisible. So we're trying to be led by a spirit that we can't see. And sometimes it's nice to have somebody we can see with our eyes, who's a couple of steps ahead who can point the way. Now, I don't know how to love my wife through this. Hey, I've done that before. Imitate me in that. I don't know how to deal with my kids in this situation. I have. Imitate me in that. I don't know how to balance my checkbook in a way that honors God. I've, I've wrestled with that. Imitate me in that. I don't know how to deal with my in-laws. They're monsters. So are mine. Imitate me, not mine. Imitate me in that. You see what I'm saying? It's helpful to have an intermediary, for lack of a better word. If... if, if if Brent and Ann are following Jesus and Misty and I are following Brent and Ann, then ultimately we're following Jesus as well. In the places where they're not, then we're not either. 
You see what I'm, and, and so sometimes it's good for us to have that, but I think the culture that we live in works against that level of depth in relationship. We have a false humility that says, I can't tell you the areas where I'm strong because that looks boastful and arrogant. And then we have this desire, maybe it's a desire to keep up with others, and so I can't tell you where I'm weak because then you're going to know I don't have it all together. A stupid example, at 9 o'clock, I preached the first half of the sermon with this microphone hanging down on my, like this. And nobody told me. Halfway through, I realized it was hanging down. Idiot is what that was. I didn't know. That's a simple, if I have lettuce in my teeth, I don't know unless you're going to tell me. Somebody, we need that with one another. I need, and we need to admit it to our Hey, this is an area where I'm struggling. I need somebody who can help point me in the right direction. Someone who can walk alongside me a little bit. That's part of what it means to be in the body of Christ. That's how God has uh, knit us together. There's no, there, there are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. We're all family, and so we need to maintain that relational connection with one another and, and I don't know where it is in other places, but in Marietta, I think it's difficult. You're swimming upstream if you choose to say, I'm hurting in this area, or I feel weak in this area, or I'm struggling in this area. Some of that's we know there's a gossip train, and if we say something, then, that, then that's all over the place. But we can't let fear of that keep us from saying, please help in this area. And again, on the other side as well, that's for some of us who maybe there's some things Every one of you has an area where you're strong in. God's done work in your life, and there's an area where you could say, if you, were, if you had the humility, actually, it's false humility that says no, if you had the humility to say, God's done this in my life, and you can follow me in this area, at least for a little bit. But for some, we just don't, there's no access there. We're, we're too busy, or we just don't think that way, or we think nobody wants to hear what I've got to say, or they're going to think I'm preaching to them, or I'm a boss, or I'm know-it-all. No. We all need, we all need guides at different points in our life. We want, I want us to be able to say, imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But there's enough access in my life that if you want to, you can. And there's enough honesty in my life that if it's not fine, I'll tell you it's not fine. And then I can get in behind you for a short spell. Let's pray. This is going to be a long prayer, so get ready. There's a couple of things I'm going to ask you to think about as we pray. There's kind of two big points for me. One is this idea of uh, rules-based following of Jesus, which I think is so easy for us to fall into. If you're a good boy, if you're a good girl, that is the easiest ditch to fall into because honestly you probably keep the rules really really well and so your scorecard looks great if you're a if you have kind of a screw up in a lot of ways then you probably gave up on the rules a long time ago because it made you look really bad and so in that sense you're you can probably teach the rest of us about grace because you've had to receive it if that's you if you're someone who struggles with a rule-based understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. If that's if that's what your t-shirt says, if your life motto is, I'm going to get an A 
I'm going to be first. I'm going to be best. I'm going to achieve. I'm going to make it happen. That type of thinking probably is a rule-based understanding underneath it. I'm going to be the best Christian I can be. Sentiment is good, but underneath that is most likely a rule-based, performance-centered understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. So God, my prayer for any of us who struggle with that, it, we can't see it, to be honest. It's, it's so ingrained in us, is that you would show us now, those of us who fall into that category, you would show us, expose that misconception, that lie. Some of you who wrestle with that, kind of the rules thing, one of the great freedoms that comes from recognizing things are not based on your performance is once you realize things are not based on your performance, there's a deeper level of security because then you're in with God because of your relationship, not because of your track record. So when things go well or things go poorly, it doesn't affect the fact that you're still in the family, just like all of you have parents. Many of you are parents. You don't want your kids approaching you from a track record perspective. They've had a bad day, and so suddenly that makes them a bad son. No, no. And the same thing with the Lord. So, God, my prayer for any who wrestle with that is that your freedom would come now. Just this deep sense of identity. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. You love us, and you're well-pleased with us. Some have never heard you say that and I pray even now in the quietness of their heart they would hear you say you are my son or daughter whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And that would become the foundational reality for us moving forward. And then kind of this other issue for me and I think with the Lord as well we want to see our community transformed we've got to figure out how to cultivate authentic relationships we're swimming upstream with that so god my prayer for us as a church obviously made up of individuals is that we would be people who would say you can follow me in this not in an arrogant not in a boastful not in a prideful way but recognizing hey god has done this in my life god you give us eyes to see people who are already in our lives who we could help we don't want to be professional advice givers we want to be professional come-alongsiders. And God, I pray that's who we would be. We would come alongside and say, hey, I can help walk you through this if you're willing. And at the same time, God, the areas where we're weak, where we struggle, I pray we would have the courage to admit that and say, I could use a little help here as well. And we'd not allow pride, some weird warped sense of privacy to keep us from saying, I need help in this area. God, that we would be a community of freely we have given and so freely we receive and so freely we give and freely we receive. If there are any here today, God, who have deep areas of struggle, I pray there'd be a, just a, a courage in their heart to admit that and to begin to seek help. 
We want to function as a body. Here, this stone bridge, but even more important than functioning as a body here is functioning as a body in our community. And I don't know what that looks like. I just pray that you would lead us into that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's how we're going to close. We're going to take communion. If you're helping with communion, if you come forward.